Hello and welcome to Renegade Files, a podcast for lovers of paranormal stories, unsolved mysteries, and underground culture. I'm your host, Lex Gordon, hacking into the Matrix from the Jungle Villa outpost deep in the uncharted tropics. Please place your hand on the palm pad and look into the retina eye scanner to the left of the door. Breathe normally and please don't blink. Got it. Thank you and come on in. This is Renegade Files episode 44, Out of Place Artifacts. According to our modern textbooks and professors who teach mainstream views of civilization, We humans have only existed in our current form on Earth for the last 200,000 years. They tell us that advances in socio-political frameworks, organized farming, and divisions of labor began to appear several thousand years ago. And the mechanical, electrical, and engineering advances which propelled us into the modern age are a very recent development, only arriving on the scene within the Industrial Revolution a mere few hundred years back. In broad terms, this stance has become the starting point for interpreting archaeological discoveries for the last century. When something that seems to have existed before these established benchmarks is found, the mainstream academic machine has no problem rewording or fully overhauling their own definitions of previous terms, to make the new findings fit their older molds. For example, Darren Kuyu is an enormous underground city in modern-day Turkey that once housed a population of 20,000 people. The best guesses for when it was built hover between 7,000 and 8,000 BC, and some believe it to be much older still. But since the previous long-held agreement among scholars was that agriculture only arrived 12,000 years ago, that was cutting it too close to support an underground city of 20,000 stationary people 10,000 years ago. So what does mainstream science say about it? Well, Harvard scientists working with three Middle Eastern universities suddenly discovered evidence of weeds at the site of a human camp on the Sea of Galilee dating from 23,000 years ago. So now, according to this study, because they found evidence that weeds were growing in the same spot that humans camped in 23,000 years ago, and because weeds often grow in previously tilled fields, then humans must have now been farming for 23,000 years. Therefore, the people of Derinkuyu could have obviously farmed enough crops to stay alive. Wow. Another mainstream answer for how the Derinkuyu site could have existed before the official timeline of agriculture had advanced enough to feed a stationary population of 20,000 people is that Derinkuyu was really just built by the hunter-gatherers of the day who would meet up on weekends when they took a few days off from the hunting and gathering they had to do to stay alive, and they built Darren Kuyu as a sort of hobby. 
And these are the ideas put forth by the people who ridicule independent researchers and conspiracy theorists for promoting pseudoscience. Weeds prove that there was agriculture 11,000 years before our last estimate, and hunter-gatherers built a 200-foot deep city to hold 20,000 people for recreation. But conspiratorial thinking creates dangerous misinformation. Okay, thank you, Professor. And this is but a single example of the links to which mainstream science will go to protect its sacred cows. In this episode, we'll dive into many out-of-place artifacts. These are objects whose workmanship, purposes, dates of creation, and locations of discovery drastically conflict with the mainstream stories of human history. Once again, we dive into the mysterious realms of archaeology, just like our hero, Indiana Jones. And I guess now we have to say, just like our hero from the original Indiana Jones trilogy. So grab your fedora, your leather suitcase, overcoat, your map covered in China marker notes, and come with me to explore the mysterious world of out-of-place artifacts. Out-of-place artifacts. Out-of-place artifacts. Out-of-place artifacts. Out-of-place artifacts. This episode isn't really divided into discrete parts. Instead, we'll just look at these artifacts one at a time and examine each according to what we do and don't know about the items. Near the end, we'll go over a few honorable mentions, which are things that we either have no actual artifacts for or that we lack any deep information on. And since most of these things are really old, we won't bother trying to put them into any order but I will give you the dates that I do have along the way. So, rock on. The first thing I want to look at is the Koso Artifact. Now, the Koso Artifact was found by three geode hunters in 1961. A geode is one of those cool hollow rocks that look lumpy and plain on the outside, but when cut in half, they can reveal those dazzling formations of crystals. These people found many geodes of good quality to sell in their rock shop, but when they cut one open, they discovered what appeared to be a spark plug inside. They were especially shocked, (laughs) because all of them agreed that the size and type of geode would make it about 500,000 years old. For years, it remained a mystery, and the object bounced around, and no one even knows where it is today. We do have pictures and x-rays of it. But then a researcher named Pierre Stromberg from the Pacific Northwest showed the photos to several members of the group Spark Plug Collectors of America. I'm not even kidding. And they recognized it right away as a 1920s champion spark plug used in a Ford Model T or Model A engine. There was no doubt. Further research concluded that the rock the item was encased in was in fact not a 500,000-year-old geode, but a mixture of sand and hardened clay. This could have easily formed around the spark plug in the decades since being discarded, probably along a roadside. This may seem to be a strange way to start a show like this, with something that has thoroughly and pretty conclusively been debunked, 
I mean, if you can't trust the members of Spark Plug Collectors of America, who can you trust? But I started here to make the point that it is possible that other out-of-place artifacts are the results of misidentification or pure mistakes, just like the Caso artifact was. It wasn't a hoax, and no one really lied about it. The people who found it were just wrong about the rock composition it was in, and one of them even said that this was a possibility. But other out-of-place artifacts are not so easily explained, and those are the ones we are here for, so let's get into them. The London Hammer isn't from England, but it was found near London, Texas in 1936 by Max and Emma Hahn, while they were hiking along Red Creek. They should have just called it the Red Creek Hammer and saved us all some confusion. What these hikers found was a strange-looking piece of wood protruding from a solid rock, and they even joked that it looked like a prehistoric hammer. They took it home as a souvenir where it lingered among the family's possessions until their son broke it while playing in 1947, some 11 years after they had found it he was probably pretending to use it like the Flintstones hammer it looked like. When the stone broke in half, it revealed that this wooden handle was attached to an iron hammer head, embedded within the solid rock. A curiosity promoter purchased the artifact in 1983. He gathered some attention promoting it as a pre-flood Christian artifact, But then when the London Hammer was examined in 1985, scientists dated the rock surrounding the hammer at between 400 and 500 million years old. The hammerhead is 6 inches long with a diameter of 1 inch and further study revealed that the metal is 96.6% iron, 2.6% chlorine, and 0.74% sulfur. This unique blend of materials has allowed the hammer to remain essentially untarnished since its discovery over 60 years ago, and some metallurgists claim that the unique composition represents a lost technology of ancient man. It is possible that the hammer somehow came to be lodged within the rock that was much older than the hammer itself, but when you see it, it looks like the rock was formed around the hammer somehow. It looks like someone molded the rock like clay to form perfectly around the hammer and the handle, or that this occurred naturally as the rock formed. If that is the case, then the hammer is indeed as old as the rock. Also, parts of the wooden handle have actually begun to fossilize. Scientists now say that we could know for sure by carbon-14 dating the wooden handle, but the current owner the Creation Evidence Museum has yet to allow it. Next up, the Main Penny. The Main Penny is a silver coin found in Maine that depicts the 11th century Norwegian king Olaf Kyer. The coin was found in 1957 by Guy Melgren, and he found it at what is known as the Goddard Site. For this reason, the main penny is also sometimes called the Goddard coin. The Goddard site is a large dig focused on an ancient Native American cache of artifacts near the coastal town of Blue Hill. Over 30,000 items have been collected there, and most of those reside in the Maine State Museum, as does the main penny. 
the University of Oslo determined the coin to have been minted between 1065 and 1080 AD. The coin was found containing a hole at the edge, probably drilled to use the coin as a pendant, but this part of the coin has since corroded and crumbled to dust. The other artifacts found at the Goddard site are dated to between 1180 and 1235 AD. This would have been within the active circulation of this coin and over 250 years before Columbus and the other Europeans would have landed in North America. Many theories exist as to how the coin could have arrived at this Native American site. For example, the Maine State Museum website says the coin is evidence of a Norse presence in the North American continent before Columbus, which, as they say, would rewrite history. But not to fully commit to such a controversial stance, spokespeople for the museum itself state that, quote, the most likely explanation for the coin's presence is that it was obtained by natives somewhere else, perhaps in Newfoundland, where the only known New World Norse settlement has been found, at Léonce-aux-Meadows, and it eventually reached the Goddard site through native trade channels. End quote. Either way, the Maine State Museum describes the Goddard coin as the only pre-Columbian Norse artifact generally regarded as genuine found within the United States. Next, we have a good one. They are called the Dropa Stones. D-R-O-P-A. The Dropa Stones are perfectly circular, flat stones, about one foot in diameter, with holes in their centers. They look like big stone washers, and they are covered in tiny circular hieroglyphs. They found 716 of them in a remote cave in China, and they're dated to 12,000 years old. The hieroglyphs are arranged in a single spiral on each of the disks, and the circular glyphs align to make a crisscrossing pattern across the disk face. And that's not all. The Dropa stones were first discovered in 1938 during an expedition to a large cave system in the Bayanhar Mountains on the border between Tibet and China. The Chinese professor who led the expedition, Qi Putai, described these caves as being artificially carved. He said the caves seemed to have been made for use as a tomb. The professor and his team found a large number of graves, carefully lined in rows. In the graves were small skeletons, four feet tall, with incredibly large heads, and small, frail limbs. Among them, they found the many, unusual, thin stone disks. Then, a Chinese scholar named Sum Um Nui went to work to decipher the hieroglyphs on the clearest of these stones. He was amazed to find that they told the story of a race of aliens called the Dropa who crash-landed in the surrounding mountains. 
After his analysis, the original professor who had led the expedition that discovered the Dropa stones said he believed that the artificially carved cave system and bodies were a graveyard made by an ancient extraterrestrial species. The problem here is that the Chinese aren't talking and neither the exact location of these caves nor the actual Dropa stones have ever been made available for study by anyone outside of China. Then we have another heavy hitter, the Baghdad batteries. In 1936, explorers discovered a dozen clay jars dating from the Parthian period about 2,000 years ago. They were found in an archaeological dig just outside of Baghdad, and they sparked immediate mystery and controversy. Now, the people who hate free thinking love to jump up and down and say the Baghdad batteries have been debunked, and that anyone saying otherwise is a pseudoscientist or a New Ager. I don't know why New Ager has been attached to the criticism of the Baghdad battery believer, but it has been. The funny thing is, no one has any valid explanation for what they may be otherwise, if not batteries. One debunking claim is that they were for storing scrolls. This is preposterous. Look at a cross-section picture of a real Baghdad battery and you'll see right away that this is a joke. Also, it wasn't some ancient alien TV show that first came up with the idea that the objects could have been used to make electricity. The first person to hypothesize this was actually Wilhelm Koenig, who was at the time director of the National Museum of Iraq. The metal rods in the jars showed pitting consistent with exposure to an acidic electrolyte liquid, which would have been used to create electricity through the process of electrode potential variation between the copper and iron electrodes inside the jars. Another very long article I came across, and I'll link to it in the Dark Intel files, spends about 2,000 words ridiculing anyone who thinks these artifacts could have been batteries. It offers not a single explanation or even idea for what they may have otherwise been, and it simply repeats over and over that they aren't batteries, and those who think so are New Agers. This is obviously the ranting of someone who has a crush on their mainstream archaeology professor and is echoing their opinions. Maybe it's the girl who wrote I love you on her eyelids to blink at Dr. Jones in class. This article also fails to mention the little fact that when you do fill the jars with an acidic solution like vinegar, they produce electricity. Oops. They just left that part out of their 2,000-word freethinker bashing article. The mainstream argument put forward to address the fact that the Baghdad batteries actually work is that it's just a coincidence and the jars were really just for something else. This is the same logic as someone finding a gold watch 200 years from now then saying it was actually a bracelet and the fact that it keeps time is just a coincidence. And if the Baghdad batteries were just regular vases, then okay, fine, but they look like no other vases. 
They're made with these iron and copper rods inside them and they have asphalt stoppers. They look purpose-built. They're all the same. And there are, or there were, 12 of them. I say were because adding to the mystery and maybe even to some conspiracy theory, all of the Baghdad batteries were stolen from the Iraq Museum during a 2003 U.S.-led invasion of Iraq. No one knows where they are now. We do have really good pictures of Baghdad batteries, though, and most of the other out-of-place artifacts we're covering in this episode. If you've thought about supporting the show on Patreon, this is a perfect time to do it for two reasons. One, this episode is very visual, and the pictures in the dark intel files add a lot to this topic. Secondly, you can now, for the first time ever, try Patreon for free. Yes, just visit the Renegade Files Agency through the link in the show notes or at patreon.com slash renegadefiles and click on one of the first three tiers. Then you can check out all of the bonus episodes and other Patreon-only content for a full week totally free. Thank you, and I'll see you in there. Okay, next, the Bronze Gears of Peru. These are small bronze discs with teeth that look like modern mechanical gears or sprockets. Now is the time on sprockets when we dance. The largest of the Peru bronze gears is less than six inches in diameter. Some suggest that they look like gears from a clock or a small machine, which they do but they are also the size and material of other round discs that have no teeth. And there are ones that have less pronounced teeth between these two, which makes the case that these are decorative symbols for the sun, which we know ancients in this area worshipped. But there is also a local legend adding intrigue to the bronze gears of Peru. Legend has it that the gears were used in conjunction with a larger disc to create a mechanism that would unlock the doorway of the gods. The mysterious door-like structure in the Hayu Marca mountain region of southern Peru is one of the most enigmatic megalithic monuments in the region. Natives of the area speak of a legend that this mysterious door is, in fact, a gateway to the land of the gods. And through it, many heroes and gods came to earth thousands of years ago. This door went completely unknown to modern archaeologists until the late 1990s, when a local hiking guide, Jose Luis Delgado, found it while exploring the mountains. The giant door is carved into solid rock, and it is 7 meters high and 7 meters wide. In its center, at ground level, is a smaller, human-sized door. Elder Peruvians say the smaller door is the entrance for mortals, while the larger door is the entrance for the gods. Local legends say that in the distant past, an Incan priest called Amaru Muru, from the Temple of the Seven Rays, fled from the Spanish with a sacred golden disc known as 
the key to the gods of the seven rays. The priest hid in the mountains of Hayu Brand, afraid of the Spanish because he thought they might take the key away from him. As he traveled, he found the sacred gate of the gods, where other shamans waited. Together, they performed a ritual with this golden disc by fitting it with smaller gears and using the object as a key, they opened the gate. A blue light emanated from the doorway. The priest entered the portal and was never seen again, and the shamans hid this intricate key away. Legend tells us that the many gears found today are replicas made by the ancient people in hopes of using them to once again open the doorway if the original golden disc was ever found. I can't believe this hasn't been made into a movie yet. Maybe it has. This is an interesting combination of folklore and archaeology. The story of the doorway of the gods describing these discs adds a deeper dimension to the artifacts. On one hand, we have the purely materialist Western minds arguing over whether or not the bronze gears of Peru are gears from a machine or not. One side says they could be, the other side ridicules them and says they aren't, but both sides ignore the ancient wisdom of the first peoples of that area who tell a long and elaborate story about the discs being part of a key to open a portal between the worlds of gods and earth. And then, in the 1990s, an outdoorsman finds a giant megalithic door in the exact mountain range mentioned in this legend. A 22-foot-tall, 22-foot-wide stone door with a normal-sized door within it that mainstream scientists, who claim to have every answer, had no clue about until the 1990s. And before we leave ancient Peru, we come to the Ica Stones. The Ica Stones are glossy andesite, a volcanic rock that is black or deep brown, and they range in size from small enough to fit in the palm of your hand to so large it would take several people to move one. They were discovered by a farmer who sold most of the ones he found to Dr. Javier Cabrera, a physician from Peru. Now, there is some question about whether they are fake or not, but this idea comes from the fact that, in Peru, illegally digging and selling ancient artifacts is a serious offense, and it can result in imprisonment. When police came to investigate the farm, the farmer quickly told them that the stones were fake, and he had sold them to the doctor just to make a few bucks. Since this particular division of Peruvian police were assigned to illegal artifact sales and not small-time conmen, the man was left alone. But now skeptics use the farmer's confession as proof of the stones being debunked. However, it is very unlikely that a farmer would carve the many various sizes and shapes and drastically different scenes depicted on the hundreds of Ica stones just to sell them to one doctor. There could be as many as 600 to 1,000 of these stones among collectors at this point. 
these stones are astounding works of art. Once again, pictures in the dark intel files. If one farmer could do the work we see on over 600 of these intricately carved stones, he could be a famous artist and make more money than he ever could by tricking one guy. It doesn't make sense. The fascinating part of the Ica stones is what the carvings depict. First of all, no two are alike. They show a multitude of subjects. One depicts the complexity of open heart surgery. Others show equally complicated medical procedures. Another one shows living dinosaurs coexisting with humans. Other stones show various dinosaurs in the landscape. Some stones show maps of the continents or the entire world, and they're incredibly accurate. Some of these detailed maps depict land masses not visible today. Some of the Ica stones show maps of the stars, and not just the stars as seen from Earth, but entire solar systems, galaxies, and illustrations of ancient astronomers using telescopes and models of planets. These depictions are all intricately carved into the shiny stones with fine precision. This precision leads skeptics to conclude that they are not ancient carvings at all, but have been done in recent times. Sound familiar? The Ica stones of Peru are a pure mystery. And now we come to a big one, the Antikythera Mechanism. The Antikythera Mechanism was discovered off the Greek island of the same name by divers on 17 May 1902. It was among many other normal artifacts from the era of the shipwreck, which has been dated in several ways to about 70 BCE. The Antikythera Mechanism, however, is believed to be much older, with scholars dating the mechanism's construction to as old as 205 BCE, so over 22 centuries ago. The device has been extensively studied and beautiful working models have been created. The Antikythera mechanism is dazzlingly complex. Scientists say it's 37 interlocking gears with corresponding markings on outer disks in layers can be used to calculate and predict such things as movements of the moon, the sun through the zodiac, the cycle of solar and lunar eclipses, the irregular orbit of the moon, the moon's velocity, the positions of the planets, and more. It's considered an out-of-place artifact because it predates even the first clock in the 11th century by over a thousand years, and that clock looks like a tinker toy in comparison. Of special delight to physicists, the moon mechanism uses a special train of bronze gears, two of them linked with a slightly offset axis to indicate the position and phase of the moon. 
as is known today from Kepler's laws of planetary motion, the moon travels at different speeds as it orbits the Earth, and this speed differential is modeled by the Antikythera mechanism, even though the ancient Greeks were supposedly not aware of the actual elliptical shape of the moon's orbit. So maybe like the Baghdad battery, they just made this incredibly complicated device that indicates Kepler's law of planetary motion by accident. On the front of the mechanism, there is a fixed ring representing the 12 zodiacal signs marked off with equal 30 degree sectors. Outside of this dial is another ring which rotates, and it displays the months and days of the Sothic Egyptian calendar, with Egyptian names for the months translated into Greek. The entire device is powered by a hand-cranked handle. The crank moves the date pointer about 78 days per full rotation, so hitting a particular day on the dial would be easily possible if the mechanism were in good working condition. The action of turning the hand crank also causes all of the interlocking gears within the mechanism to rotate, resulting in the simultaneous calculation of the position of the sun and moon, the moon phases, eclipses, calendar cycles, and the location of the known planets. Scholars tell us that this device fully worked, although it would have suffered some inaccuracies, not because of the design, but because all of the gears were handmade, and small variations among them would be additive over time. However, this takes nothing away from the elegance and astounding machinery of the Antikythera mechanism. It's widely considered the first analog computer ever made, how it could have been created in such a distant past is the mystery. Honorable Mentions In this section, we'll go over a few out-of-place artifacts that are either less complex than the ones we've covered already, or are things that we only have depictions of, or at least very little information about. The first out-of-place artifact on our honorable mentions list is the Egyptian light bulb. This isn't really an artifact, but a depiction of an artifact. It's a carved relief beneath the Temple of Hathor at Dendera, Egypt, and it shows several figures standing around what looks like a giant light bulb. Chariots of the Gods author Eric von Daniken built a model of the bulb which works when connected to a power source, emitting an eerie purplish light. The real question this relief raises is, if it isn't a light bulb, then what is it? As far as I know, it's the only carved image that looks anything like this. Next up on our honorable mentions list is the Piri Reis map. This is a map created by Turkish admiral and cartographer Piri Reis, that's P-I-R-I-R-E-I-S, in 1513, but sourced from various earlier maps that he had acquired. It seems to show Antarctica as it was in a very remote age before it was covered with ice. 
The map illustrates a landmass extending from the southern coastline of South America and connecting to Antarctica. Captain Lorenzo W. Burroughs, a U.S. Air Force captain in the cartographic section, wrote a letter to Harvard historian Dr. Charles Hapgood in 1961 saying that this landmass seems to accurately show Antarctica's coast as it is below the ice. Dr. Hapgood, 1904-1982, was one of the first to publicly suggest that the Piri Reis map depicts Antarctica during a prehistoric time. His theories about geological shifts earned the admiration of Albert Einstein. He hypothesized that the landmasses shifted, explaining why Antarctica is shown as connected in the map to South America. Next honorable mention is the Salzburg Cube. Found in Austria in the late 1800s, it's an iron object that looks much more like an oval brain than a cube. It's a strange shape. It has dimples all over it and a central ridge that runs its length on one side. It doesn't look at all like any kind of machine or tool. The only contention around the object is whether or not it's a meteorite. No one can agree, but its composition fails to match the geology of the area in which it was found, which is why it ends up on some lists of out-of-place artifacts. Then we have the Baigong Pipes. The Baigong Pipes were found in caves near Mount Baigong in China, and they are a system of metal pipes leading to a nearby lake. They were dated by the Beijing Institute of Geology to be 150,000 years old. State-run media Xinhua reported that the pipes were analyzed at a local smeltery and 8% of the material could not be identified. Zhang Jiandong, a geology research fellow from the China Earthquake Administration told state-run newspaper People's Daily in 2007 that some of the pipes were found to be highly radioactive. He said iron-rich magma may have risen from deep in the earth, bringing the iron into fissures where it may have solidified into the tubes, though he admitted that, quote, there is indeed something mysterious about these pipes, unquote. There is also the Viking sword Ulfbert, dating from 800 to 1000 AD, but made to such precision and purity that no one else could have made a similar sword until 800 years later. Its carbon content is three times higher than any other sword of the era, and impurities were removed to such a degree that the iron ore must have been heated to at least 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Blacksmith Richard Fuhrer of Wisconsin attempted to recreate the sword using the most modern equipment, and he said it was the most complicated thing he had ever made. My summary. I love the subject of out-of-place artifacts. They confront our assumptions and help us move forward. It's strange that one of the major tenets of science is to use your powers of observation and experimentation to make determinations and not rely on hearsay or opinions. 
In the cases of archaeology, history, and anthropology, the status quo is very often fiercely guarded. Out-of-place artifacts challenge these rules. How much of our modern science is really just academic folklore? When it encounters something that doesn't match its current understanding, it bends over backwards and jumps through hoops of fire to make it fit. It changes definitions. We, as citizens of our remarkable planet, are at our best and move forward into improvement most efficiently when we take objective viewpoints and look at things with open minds. It is entirely possible that intelligent civilizations lived on Earth ages before we recall today. Take a trip back and check out Renegade Files episode number 2, The Great Pyramid of Giza, and dive deeper into the ideas behind this theory. If you liked this episode, share it by posting a link to therenegadefiles.com on your social media or in a text to your coolest friend, and thanks for doing that. That's going to wrap it up for us today. Thank you sincerely for investigating out-of-place artifacts with me. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash renegadefiles through the link in the show notes and come explore the Renegade Files agency with your totally free trial. Rock on. adventure. I'm your old friend Lex Gordon. Stay wild, renegade child. <laughs>